privilege of leading our family ministry here at CCC, and that means that I oversee everything that happens from little babies all the way through high school graduation. And uh, it is that time of year again where graduation comes around, and for us this is an exciting time as we take a group of seniors that we've invested some in a short time, but some in a long, long time, and uh, send them out into what God has next for them. So I want to invite any of our graduating high school seniors that are here this morning, if you just come forward, come on up on stage here, and uh, we want to just take a minute and honor you, and uh, also pray for you as you head off into a brand new phase in your life. And so as they're coming, um, these students represent uh, a lot of hard work and input for a good many years, and uh, you keep going. You're good. You're good. I'm used to you guys getting in my way. So, um, but no influence has been more important in their lives than their parents. And uh, I won't make them do that. But if I ask them, I think that's probably what they would share as well. So, can we just take a moment and just thank their parents for the investment over the last many years in their lives? You know, we as a church believe that parents have the most significant influence in the life of a, a child or a student, and, uh, and we love to come alongside them as a family ministry and be another influence uh, in their lives. And so um, that's what always makes us sad when they're uh, ready to leave us and step out of our umbrella of ministry, not out of our lives, but out of um, maybe our weekly involvement in their lives and uh, into something new. And so uh, we have 15 students that are graduating from high school in our church. And uh, so we want to celebrate this as a few of them and just want to give them a chance to uh, introduce themselves. So you can just say your name and uh, what's next for you, whether that's going into the workforce or some kind of schooling or training or what's next. My name's Lane Weber, and I'm going to study bioengineering at Penn State Berks. I'm Emma Mollenhoff, and I'm going to Millersville University for broadcasting. I'm Vanessa Binkley, and I'm also going to Millersville for, um, I'm a major in psychology, but hoping to eventually study music therapy. I'm Daniel Miklas, and I'm going to Liberty for business and marketing. I'm Laura Sensnick, and I'm going to PA Health College for nursing. I'm Tyler Brunner, and I'm going to Cedarville University for mechanical engineering. Let's just give them a quick round of applause just for their accomplishments here as graduating from high school. And uh, we want to just take a moment together as a church to just to, to say a prayer over them uh, and for them as, as they step out into something new. And, uh, and just ask that God will continue to lead them and guide them and use them as they do that. So let's pray. Uh, for them together. Father, just thank you so much for the love that you show us that we just sang about. And thank you, God, for these students that are standing here next to me and, and just all the years of hard work and, and um, not just these few here, but all those who are a part of our church. And God, it's with great excitement that, um, that we send them out into what you have next for them. But God, it's also, uh, there's some other emotions there, some sadness, and we maybe hate to see them go, and, and uh, maybe some nervousness and, and some fear. And God, we know those exist uh, in their families. And God, first, I want to pray for their families and, and the transition that happens there as they move out into this next phase of life. And for some of them, that means going far away, and for some of them, that just means into something new. And God, I just pray that you would help those who, their parents and their siblings as they 
make those adjustments and as they walk through and, and even the graduates themselves, just the, the emotions that go through that. And God, for, for these uh, graduates, just God, you say in your word that you created each one of them and, and, and that they're your masterpiece, just like we all are. And, and God, you made them uniquely individuals who you have a great purpose for and a plan for. And, and you say in Ephesians, it's to do good works. And God, we are excited to see the careers they go into and the other opportunities and, and decisions that they make. And we ask that you would guide them through those. Some of the decisions they make in the next few years will really shape the direction of their lives. And so we pray for your protection over them. We pray that your spirit would be greatly at work in their lives. Help them to be sensitive to your leading in their lives. And God, we, we look forward with excitement into the way that we'll be able to look back in a few years and see how you've worked in them and how you've worked through them. And God, as we talked last week, may this group of graduates not be known for their accomplishments or their successes or the amount of money that they make or what they do, but that they would be known for their good works, that they would be known for the way that they live their lives, for the way that they serve and love you and the way that they serve and love other people. And God, we just thank you so much for a chance to honor them, um, to to celebrate what's going on in their lives and, and just pray, God, as they move into this transition that you would just help them to follow you through that and to continue to put their faith and trust in you. God, we love you and we ask these things from you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's give them another round of applause as they go ahead and take their seats. Yeah, you can go. Well, this morning, as I mentioned, we're going to be beginning um, a brand new series that we're going to be doing throughout the next couple months in the summer, and it's called Never Forget. And uh, I, I, it's kind of got an unforgettable beginning here this morning, um, and hopefully you'll go away remembering what we do here. But um, Pastor John's sick today. He's been sick in bed for the last couple days, and so um, we were kind of scrambling yesterday to figure out how we were going to navigate through this. And one of the plans that we had for this summer was to take some guys that uh, have uh, been speaking in C3 in our high school group and in Flipside and uh, giving them an opportunity to, to share with you. And uh, so Jeremy Allen and Tim Nice were scheduled this summer to speak. And uh, we just thought, well, let's give Tim a, an early chance. And actually, he graciously uh, volunteered to step in for, for John this morning. And um, I, can, I can speak to the fact that this is one of the hardest things you ever have to do as a speaker, speak someone else's message. And um, on short notice, as he, I think, got it in his hands about 9 o'clock last night. So um, we're super grateful for Tim and uh, just for his ministry to our students and now to you, and especially stepping in here in a pinch. And um, I know God will uh, work through him. And the great thing is we're going to look at through this series is God works through um, brokenness and messes and th when things don't go the way they're planned. So we trust that he'll do that this morning as Tim shares with us. Thank you, Tim. I was trying to remember um, one other time that I was kind of put on the spot. I was at least prepared, you know, given a little bit of warning here, you know, 9 o'clock last night until now, and I, do, I was able to preach the first sermon, but another time I was really put on the spot was when my brother asked me to be the best man of his wedding. Okay, I'll be your best man. But I didn't realize, nobody told me that I had to give a best man speech, and they literally gave me the microphone and said, you're up. 
<laughs> I had no idea what to say, so I just kind of fumbled through it and said, you're, you're my bro, and uh, you know, I love you, and <laughs> I think I like your wife, and you know, it just made a complete mess of it. <laughs> I regret that, but um, hopefully this morning um, we are going to open God's Word. We're going to start a new series, and you can find some application to what we're going to talk about. One of the opportunities our family enjoys on vacation is the opportunity to visit places of significant historical uh, relevance in our, in our country. Throughout our country, we have memorials that remind us of significant events in the history of our country. Some of those include the Lincoln Memorial, where we remember all the hard work that Abraham Lincoln uh, gave to a divided nation and the stand that he took with the many issues that were involved in his time as he led. Another memorial we might consider is, maybe that more recent, is the uh, Flight 73 Memorial in Schwanksville, Pennsylvania, where on 9-11, the men uh, on that plane uh, courageously stood up against the terrorists, and they overtook the terrorists and, and, and crashed it and ended their lives, but they, they, they offered a great sacrifice in that, in that act of courage. Or maybe you've been to New York recently and have seen the 9-11 memorial uh, where the Twin Towers once stood. Uh, you know, these type of memorials are designed to remind us of a time in our history when significant events happened in which we don't want to forget them. We celebrate and also honor uh, not only national memorials, but also memorials of items that are very personal or close to us. You know, couples may... Uh, put a copy of their wedding vows on the wall of their home to remember uh, and remind themselves of the promises that they've made to each other. A business owner might uh, frame his first dollar that he, that he made in a business adventure and celebrate uh, being a, a small business owner and, and, and seeing the success and the trials that involved in that. Something to remember. You know, we put pictures on the walls for our kids when they're younger so we remember them at those cute little phases. And also we remember family members that maybe have passed away um, uh, through, through, through the same way. There is something about our desire to remember the things that are most meaningful in our lives. We don't want to let them go. We want to remember, and we don't want to forget. This summer we're going to begin a series entitled Never Forget. It's based on a book in the, in the Old Testament, the book of Judges. And it's not like the TV show Judge Judy or... People's Court, uh, you may have watched those shows, which are highly entertaining, but this is going to be a very different entertaining study. Uh, we're going to have all types of different events and different ups and downs in the life of the people of Israel. You know, over 350, the book of Judges uh, was written over the course of a period of 350 years uh, where they had um, just amazingly saw, previously saw God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's protection. God just was very real to them as they, as they came into the promised land. And uh, we're going to study those ups and downs. For those of you that are Christ followers, I believe this series is going to stretch your faith and your devotion to Jesus. I believe it has the potential to move you out of complacency and launch you into a walk of faith that is alive. It's risky, it's exciting, and it's filled with adventure. For those of you that may be investigating Christianity, the series is going to expose the underbelly of religious people. We'll see that people of faith fail. 
Anybody else fail in this room? Yeah, we do. We fail all the time. We sometimes have the best of intentions, but we fail. People will walk away from their faith for a time, or even worse, they'll abandon their faith. People will say they are of faith, but really not live like it. The book of Judges shares some of the family stories that some may wish don't have to be retold. So I was thinking about this, and thinking about it, a personal example in my life of, um, of family stories that don't need to be retold. How many have some family stories that don't need to be retold? Yeah? Oh, so I think we all can. We probably have good stories, and they, you know, they grow in time. You know, they're, they're amazing stories. And then we have stories that when, it, when your sibling or your parent or your crazy aunt brings it up at, at Christmas, you want to plug your ears and say, la, 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 until it's over. So I've got one of those stories. You know, when I was seven or eight years old, innocent, hardly ever doing anything wrong, my parents, my parents asked me to take the, uh, take, take the trash out or the compost out to our field where we had a compost pile. It's a five-acre field, and it was at dusk. It was really dark. And, the, you know, I had been observing that deer were bedding down at night and sleeping in this, in this field. So I had this imagination, running wild as a young boy, and I was... I knew I was going to sneak up on one of these little guys and I was going to have the opportunity to pet a deer. So as I was going out to the, to, to the field to dump my compost, I heard something in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the weeds and I reached out and right before I touched it, something jumped up and ran away. Could have been a raccoon, could have been a mouse, could have been my imagination, I'm not sure, but I know it happened. <laughs> and I ran inside and I said, guess what, guess what, guess what? I pet a deer. And my dad, mom, no, you didn't pet a deer. Are you crazy? And I continued to buckle down. Yes, I did pet a deer. Yes, I did pet a deer. And I became kind of the laughing block of my family. If any time I'm able to share something that is exciting or something that might be, you know, exaggerated a little bit, what do you think my siblings and my family asked me? Did you pet a deer? So... This is, a, this is a good ending to the story because for years I've been, I, I, people, you know, my sibling and other people have heard the story have asked me, you know, I can't catch a fish more than an inch long or I pet a deer, all right? Uh, I can't do anything without people teasing me about it. So a couple summers ago, my family was vacationing in the Poconos and we were at this cabin. And if you've been up in the Poconos, uh, you know that the deer are very tame up there. And I was standing on the front porch and this buck was walking around our front yard and I had an apple in my hand and I reached out to that, to that buck, and it walked up to me, and it took it right from my hand and allowed me to touch it. And I had witnesses. My kids watched it. <laughs> and now guess what? When anybody asks me that question, I can say, yes, I have. Because <laughs> I've got witnesses. But we all have periods in our life, we all have times in our life in which, you know, you just don't want to retell a story. Things in which we wish we could redo, we could, we could think through before we reacted. And Judges is a great opportunity. As we begin this study, and as we look at this, my hope for you is that in the midst of the mess and often the confusion that we call life, we see God. And you discover that God is able to be at work no matter what your story, no matter what your past may look like. God wants to be part of your life and he has an amazing plan for your life. The book of Judges is the Jerry Springer show meets the Jenny Jones show. If you, probably not, hopefully not, watch those shows or know what I'm talking about, every single week it's a different, weird, and bizarre, and odd story. 
Scratching, you, you, you scratch your head and say, what? How did that happen? It doesn't always make sense, but we're going to dive headfirst in the study. And the plan is for this summer to, uh, to take uh, the first half of the book of Judges and study through them, and then we're going to finish that up next summer. So with that said, let's dive into Judges chapter 1. If you have your Bible in, the, in, the, in front of you, it's page 190. And before we dive into Judges chapter 1, really I think it's, it, it's something that we need to go back and kind of get a frame of reference as to where Israel was before Judges chapter 1. So as we look back, for those of you that are history buffs, those of you that like Bible history, we're just going to take a little bit of a review as to where God has led Israel up to this point. So in Exodus, we know that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt for 400 years. And then God brought a deliverer by the name of Moses. And he led them out of Egypt. You know, the stories that we read about how God provided and protected and just overcame obstacle after obstacle is amazing. The Israelites should have had great faith, right? I mean, they had to see the Red Sea divide and walk through it. I mean, should have had great faith. Uh, and, and, and we see how, how even as they walked up and came to the promised land of what God had promised Israel to the, uh, the land of Israel to them, they sent 12 spies in, right? Ten were bad and two were good. Ten spies came back and said, no, they're huge. I'm scared. We can't ever do this. Two said, we're going to trust God. We're going to trust God and we're going to, let's trust God and see what he does. So God at that point said, you know, if if you can't have faith in me, I'm going to turn you right around and we're going to wander in the wilderness for 40 years. I'm going to provide food for you. I'm going to provide that your clothing won't won't uh, wear out, but anybody over the age of 20 is going to die, except for those two spies that had faith. They're going to die, and you're not going to be able to enter into the promised land. So as they were about to enter into the promised land, God gave Moses the opportunity to, on top of Mount Nebo in Jordan, now today, overlooking the promised land, was able to see what God had promised to them, and God took Moses Joshua came into command, and as they crossed the Jordan River, entering into the Promised Land, Joshua led the Israelites into the first battle, the Battle of Jericho. I mean, think about just another huge God moment. Walk around the city walls, blow a horn, and the falls collapse, and I mean, it's an amazing victory. So as they enter the, as they enter the Promised Land, they're obeying God, they're, they're, they're driving out those that were there. They're being completely obedient to God. And they divide the land of of Israel into 12 different tribes, which represent the brothers of Joseph and his two sons, the 12 tribes of Israel. Amazing victories. God fights for them. And the nations around them are wondering, oh man, we're in trouble. Who is this upstart group of people that are are taking, taking over our land? So they gain a foothold. And it's here where we come to to Judges 1. But let's first read in Joshua chapter 23, verse 7 through 12, how God instructs the Israelites before they come into the promised land. He's He's setting the standard of what he expects them to do. He says, Do not associate with these nations that remain among you. Do not invoke the names of their gods or swear by them. You must not serve them 
or bow down to them. But you are to hold fast to the Lord your God as you have until now. The Lord has driven out before you great and powerful nations. To this day, no one has been able to withstand you. One of you routes a thousand, because the Lord your God fights for you. Just as he promised, so be very careful to love the Lord your God. But if you turn away and, and, and ally yourselves with the survivors of these nations that remain among you, and if you intermarry with them and associate with them, then you may be sure that the Lord your God will no longer drive out these nations before you. Instead, they will become snares and traps for you, whips on your backs and thorns in your eyes. Have they ever had a thorn in their eye? I've had a thorn in my thumb, but a thorn in your eye? That sounds like a real, uh, that sounds like a really bad day. I, I break down with a thorn in my thumb. Like, I just fixate on it and I try to get it. I mean, I can't imagine a thorn in your eye. But God's trying to make it really clear here that your life is going to not be comfortable if you don't obey what I'm asking you to do. So until you perish from this good land which the Lord your God has given you. And so it's a pretty clear warning. Obey. Obey. I want to bless you. I want you to flourish. But you've got to obey and trust in me. Israel is to obey what God has instructed. Let God fight for them and they will continue to experience success. Failure to do so will result in God no longer fighting for them. They will be on their own and they will be consumed by these other nations. It's a pretty easy formula for success. So what happened? And here we are in the book of Judges. The book of Judges is a story of Israel's attempt to conquer the land that God had said would be their promised land. You know, the book of Judges offers some very unique different factors. It moves all around the nation or the entire land. So you can see the 12 tribes, and you can see... So we have different stories and different tribes that we're going we're gonna to bounce around this morning. It was men and women that were called judges. So this is a very different concept of what we know as judges, right? And today, judges oversee legal proceedings. At times, they pass judgments. They interpret the law. And this time, judges were often in a place where they could fight regionally based battles on behalf of the people. Usually they had a very different role in normal life and temporarily filled a spot that they did not normally fill. So they were willing to step up to the plate. They were willing to step up and obey when called upon. God would often use them in a very amazing way. You know, also in Judges, some some, some unique factors is there's some amazing roles of women in the book of Judges. In a culture that often subjugated women and did not give them a voice, God chose to use women in several very powerful ways, some very good and some in very evil ways. It gives us a glimpse into the heart of God and the powerful opportunity that God at times invites women's, women to be part of, to play in his story and his plan. And So let's begin in Judges chapter 1. Verse 1. It says, After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, Who of us is to go up first to fight against the Canaanites? 
They're asking God for direction. It's a good place to start. They're remembering coming into the promised land and, and, and conquering this, the, this land. They're remembering, okay, we've got we to gotta go to God with this. God, what do you want us to do first? The phrase go up is repeated throughout this text. It's called, called calling going up is to conquer, to fight. And Judah, the oldest, is the firstborn, is given this role. We see that as we look here in verse 2. The Lord said, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. So Judah, the, Judah, the oldest, firstborn, is given this role. He was entrusted with the biggest part of the land to conquer. If you, if, when, once we go back to the map, he's got a big chunk of land in the south there. He's told by God, it's in the bag. They're given into your hands. And what we see Judah do, what does he do? We see here in verse 3 it says, And Judah said to Simeon, his brother, Come up with me into the territory allotted to me, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And so God said, Judah, go. And Judah says, I'll go, but I'm going to bring my brother. Now Simeon, look at his little section. He had a much smaller section. God had already promised. It's in, it's in the bag. It's a win. But Judah took his obedience and, and was only halfway obedient. And we're going to start to see a pattern as we look at Judges chapter 1 of the Israelites taking God's instructions and adding to it. The confusing part of the story is that Judah was successful. They win. They went up and they won the battle, as we see here. So as we continue on in, in verse 6 and 7, it says, and I do need to stop right here, okay? Because if you've read Judges 1, you realize you need a seminary degree to pronounce these words. And I apologize. I really, I'm going to work through it. But there's one verse, I think there's like eight or nine. Bear with me, all right? So Adonai Bezek fled, but they chased him. So this was the bad king of this area. They chased him and caught him, and they caught off his thumbs and his big toes. Ouch. So he couldn't fight, and he couldn't run, right? And then Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. And they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. So they defeated the... Uh, God, is, is, God is paying back Adonai Bezek for his evilness. And it's interesting to know that he, as a pagan, understood righteous justice. Continuing on in, in verses 12 through 13... We see another example, and, and this is Caleb saying to his army, He who attacks Kiriath Sefer, I will give you my daughter to be your wife. And Othniel, the, sing of Kenz, the son of Kenez, Caleb's younger brother, captured it, and he gave him Achish, his daughter, for a wife. And we see here, this is the first reference to a woman in Judges. The first reference uh, to her is that she goes to her dad after he, you know, he, she's been given to, um, to Othniel, and she says, Dad, can I have land? Can you give my husband land? And of course, Dad, what did, what did Dad say? Of course, honey, anything you want. 
And boldly, she says, well, if he's going to give me land, could, could I have springs too? Well, if we know Israel, Israel is a dry and barren land. Water is the most important resource in that country. And she, in a way, was able to, was able to in, a, in, a, in, a, in a, a very uh, courageous way, was able to ask and advance her husband's holdings, was able to demonstrate confidence and, and, and being willing to, to ask and go outside her comfort zones to ask on behalf of others. And so as we continue uh, reading in, in verse 19, we see God is still with him. In verse 19, we say, The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possessions of the hill country, but they were unable to drive the people from the plains because they had chariots fitted with iron. Well, if God can surely take down the walls of Jericho. And they saw generations before, they, God surely took out the Egyptians as they pursued them with their chariots. For some reason, God is starting to pause the success button here. Something's wrong in this equation, and we're going to see it. It's going to be revealed as we continue forward. So in verse 19, we see the Lord was, verse, I'm sorry, verse 20. Let's continue on. As Moses had promised, Hebron was given to Caleb, who drove it from the three sons of Anak. So God continued to fill his promises to Caleb. In verse 21, we see here, the Benjaminites, however, did not drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. To this day, the Jebusites live there with the Benjaminites. So all of a sudden, instead of driving out, well, we're going to be in charge of you, but you can, you can stay. Okay? And we see here also in verse uh, 22, we can see the sense of the, of, of the tide changing. Now the tribes of Joseph attacked Bethel, and the Lord was with them when they sent men to spy out Bethel, formerly called Luz. We see that instead of just going out and driving, now they're actually asking for help. Instead of asking for help from God, God, what would you have us to do? They're actually asking help from the enemy, from spies in the land. So they're starting to add and make judgment calls that God God said, you shouldn't be doing. You need to be obeying me completely. And so don't miss the irony here and the subtle shift that's taking place as we continue through this text. In verse 27, the first, the first phrase, but Manassas did not drive out the people of Beth Shan or Tanakh or Dor or Eblim or Megiddo and their surrounding settlements for the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. And that's where Manasseh is. In verse 28, we see when Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but they never drove them out completely. Verse 29, Nor did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, but the Canaanites continued to live there among them. And that's in Ephraim. So we're seeing here all over the 12 tribes this is happening. Not just one place, but all over the 12 tribes. In verse 30, neither did Zebulun drive out the Canaanites living in Kitron or Nehahol. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. I'm sorry. See these Canaanites living among them, but Zebulun did subject them to forced labor. And see, we see where that was happening. Nor did Asher drive out those living in Echo or Sidon or Alab or Ixib or Helba or Ephek or Rehab. That was the one. So we see here, up in Asher, same things happening. Did not drive. 
did not obey completely what God had asked. Continuing on, we see in verse 32, the Asherites lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land because they did not drive them out. Neither did Naphtali drive out those living in Beth Shemesh or Beth Anath, but the Naphtalites too lived among the Canaanite inhabitants of the land. And those living in Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became forced laborers for them. We can see where that was happening. The Amorites confined the Danites to the hill country, not allowing them to come down into the, into the plain, in verse 34. So you notice the shift as we look at this text. God says, drive them out. Put them out. But instead of driving them out, they, 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 they overtook them, they put them into forced labor, and now they allowed the Canaanites to live in the same land with them. And what's the danger with this? What started out as a, as a devotion and commitment to follow God slowly eroded to a man-centered, pragmatic approach to facing the challenges that God had put before them. It was half-hearted obedience, and it was weak, anemic faith. Instead of driving out the people who God cautioned them would turn their hearts and the hearts of their sons and the hearts of their daughters away from God, they allowed them to live in the land like buried landmines. The story doesn't end here in this chapter, fortunately. But it continues in chapter 2. God sends a messenger in the form of an angel in chapter 2. And if you look at verses 1 through through 3, it says, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you, though the angel is speaking on behalf of God and remembering what God has done for them, right? He says, I brought you out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. You know, the angel calls Israel into account of their actions, of their decisions. They've been promised this land by God. They promised they promised to not make a covenant with these people and destroy their altars, destroy their places of worship. This was the issue. The issue was their worship. It wasn't the Canaanite clothing, the way they dressed, or their pottery, or their, or their diet, or their music. It was their gods. It was their altars. It was their rituals. It was their magic and culture, worldview. They chose to do God's work their way, not God's way. And what was the result? Well, we see the result here. Traps and snares. Splinters in the eye. Whips on the back. Maybe not literally, God's withholding his, he's not allowing them to be blessed the way he wants to bless them. This was not an ethnic cleansing or imperialistic conquest. 
God had commanded them not to plunder and take them as slaves, but to drive them out of their promised land. So what does God want in us? Same as he wanted here in, with the Israelites. He, wanted, he wants obedience. He wants to be the Lord over every part of our lives. He wants to be the Lord over your career, your parenting, maybe your choice of spouse, your retirement plans, your investment, your friends, your financial decisions. This is my favorite part of the verses because it's Israel's response to God confronting them. And he says here in verse 4, when the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, they wept aloud. And they offered, in verse 5, they offered sacrifices to God. And this is a glimpse, maybe just a small glimpse, and a glimmer of hope for the Israelites. Hope. They started off strong. They started off coming in the promised land on high as a kite, excited about what God was doing, and they just forgot what God had asked them to do. And they started to make their own calls on things, and, and, and that's not what God asked for. So what's the takeaway here as we look at Judges chapter 1? What's the takeaway? Well, God asks that we trust him and obey him. Too often we want to be in charge, but God asks us, Will you walk with me in faith? It took a lot of faith for Israel to obey. When you think about the example of Jericho, walking around, 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 and what are we doing? And then to see God come through, wow, okay. That took faith. What's it look like that in your life? I mean, maybe, maybe you're facing something that you're like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how, where God is leading me. I don't know why I'm here, but... But I'm here. And God's saying, I want you to trust me. And he's asking you, will you trust me? Will you obey me? You know, often we say, I can't. Right? I can't. But do we really mean I won't? You know, when somebody hurts you, somebody says an unkind word, or, or you don't feel respected, you know, oftentimes we say, I can't forgive. I can't be kind to that person. I can't be patient to that annoying person. I can't. Sometimes our can'ts are maybe just I won'ts. Maybe what we're really saying is, God, I know you tell me to live by the Holy Spirit and try to work through the fruits of the Spirit, but I just want to reserve the right to, to live and respond the way I want to live. I think that's the case with the people of Israel. They wanted to make their own decisions. They wanted to make their own choices. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, God is faithful and will not let you be tempted beyond what you're able to bear, but will provide a way in which you can escape. So sometimes when we say, I can't, I can't do that. I can't obey that way. God may be saying, is it, I've given you that the strength through me. You can. Is it really I won't? 
Another thing I love about this story, and you see it over and over with the, the Israelites, but you see it in the New Testament too. What I love about the story is God showed up in the form of an angel. He pursued after the Israelites. They messed up. They weren't obeying. But God pursued them, and he pursues you. And he wants you to turn to him. I believe that the entire Old Testament, including Judges chapter 1, is pointing us to the good news of the gospel, of God wants to pursue you and have a relationship with you. God is saying, you can't do this life alone. I want you to be part of it with me. I want you to live life with me. So that requires for us, as the Israelites did, what, what happened? They came to the place of brokenness. They said, we haven't been obedient. We have been living life the way that we should. I've let things slide. I've become complacent. But Lord, I, I, I'm coming back to you. I'm coming back to you. I'm broken. And I want to put you first again in my life. I love you. God says, I love you. And I sent my son for you and for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. God showed up like that with the Israelites, and he, sh- he wants to show up like that with you as well. So new, someone who may be new here, maybe you're on the fence, you're just trying to check out Christianity, you don't know what this whole faith thing's all about. You know, the, God did an awesome work, and it's really clearly through John 3.16, it says, God so loved you, the world, me, that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. God is pursuing you and wants to have a relationship with you. Come to him as you are, and he wants to forgive you. As a believer, am I obeying? Am I trusting God? Am I being careful to not be complacent in my life like the Israelites were? You know, I said earlier when I, earlier uh, this morning, um, religious people fail. And when we do fail as Christians, the worst thing you can do is tuck your head down and give up and say, I'm terrible at this. God wants you to run to the cross. He really does. He wants you to say, I can't do this myself. God, I need you. I need you to give me the strength to be able to say no. I need you to give me the ability to be able to, to depend on you in the most difficult times. Run to the cross. Say, it's not me. I'm broken before you, God. I need you to help me today. He wants us to be dependent on him and live for him. So I'm not sure where you're at today, but this is a good example of the life of the Israelites and in Judges chapter 1, how they learn the hard way. I think even more importantly, they learned and they were willing to come back and, and come back to God and be broken in, in their mistakes. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, the example of the Israelites in Judges chapter 1 where they just got lazy. They weren't obeying the way that they should. And God, you, you love them. You gave them chances. You came back to them. You pursued them just like you pursue us every single day. You want us to have a, a right relationship with you. So Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, we pray that they would have the boldness and courage to 
to seek somebody out after the service and talk about, talk about their faith and talk about Christ. For us as believers, Lord, we can be complacent. We can be, we can be sometimes lazy. We cannot have passion to obey you and trust you the way we should. Lord, may, may we come to you and be encouraged in our faith to truly live for you completely and obediently in a way that just pleases you and brings glory to Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Tim. It takes a lot of courage to, to do it God's way. So let's all stand and sing our closing song, Whom Shall I Fear?